This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent podcast about aviation careers. Today we have back a special guest uh, to discuss flight attendant careers. This is part two of why you should become a flight attendant, and it's with Dan Freeman. Again, Dan Freeman's a flight attendant for about six years, flies out of Las Vegas, and uh, he's been on many previous episodes. If you listen to the last one, part one of why you should become a flight attendant, this is the part two in the nitty-gritty, a lot different than our first section. So uh, we're going to continue that discussion that we started in the last episode, uh, but before we begin, just a, a quick uh, announcement. The uh, Aerospace Scholarships 2018 is coming out. We'll have that done by the end of the year in January. That'll be available both in the iTunes store and also on Amazon. And I've, we've heard you. You want to have an online searchable database, so we're going to go back to doing that again. It's still available, but uh, we aren't selling the online database. If you have purchased it in the past, you still can search it, uh, but we are changing the format. We want to make it better than it is right now. Uh, so that's why we're doing that. Another thing that we've looked at as far as a scholarships guide is actually being able to look at the scholarships and have an online code where you can find the most up-to-date information about that scholarship on our website. And that's been a suggestion by a few people. So we're going to probably wind up doing that. Also, make sure you go to facebook.com slash aviation careers podcast to find out where we are, what we're doing, and how you can meet myself and the other co-hosts. Anyway, getting on to the part two of why you should become a flight attendant. Here comes the nitty-gritty about about the scheduling, the pay, the per diem, the vacation, all those kind of neat things. And back helping us understand about it is Dan Freeman. Dan, welcome back again to this episode. Oh, thank you, Carl. It's great to be back. And I'm just going to say, starting off, for everyone out there listening today, sit down. You're going to probably have to listen to this one a few times. We're going to talk about numbers. Those don't go over well um, through audio. Um, but we're going to do our best to make this simple and easy for you all to understand. Oh, and by the way, if you're a pilot listening right now, share this with your friends, but also that want to want to become a flight attendant, but also listen, because a lot of what we're talking about here is the same for pilots, the scheduling, the pay and all that kind of stuff. It, it's very similar. The rates might be a little different, but it's pretty much the same for, for most work groups that are there in the airlines, especially uh, in flight and flight. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, Dan, this is uh, we're going to get started because we have a bunch to discuss here. First of all, uh, talking about being a flight attendant. We're not going to talk about pay first, and I know that's what everybody wants to talk about, but let's talk <laughs> about the schedules because uh, lifestyle is important and uh, and understanding scheduling is important. So let's back up here and understand uh, why is it that my friends can't schedule to do something with me two months from now. So explain that one to people. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we call this <laughs> we call this having a normal job versus being a flight attendant. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So, yeah, in order to get paid, you need to have a schedule, right? So, we need to discuss uh, how you get your schedule and and how those schedules are um, arranged, how they're built, uh, what they consist of. This is going to be different through all these different airlines out there. Um, they all have different types of schedules, different contracts. Uh, that allow them to do different things. Okay, so I'm going to speak from my experience for my company, but in general, this is how it's going to work. So the way scheduling works uh, for a flight attendant at a major airline is you're going to bid 
for the next month schedule. All right. So in December, um, I, so for the month of December, I'm going to bid for that schedule in November. And all of this is based on seniority. We've talked about this on, on many of Carl's shows and um, um, other shows about the airline industry is all about seniority, right? So your schedule is awarded based on seniority, um, but you're going to essentially um, bid for what you want to work the next month. And then um, those those bids are awarded based on seniority, and then you get your schedule for that entire next month. So in a way, this this can be very beneficial. It's also extremely flexible, and we can talk about um, how flexible it is later. But just in general, um, you're going to be getting your one-month advance notice of what you're going to be working, and that's it. All right, so in November, I'll know what I'll be working in December, and that's it. And that's why we can we only go one month out in our schedules. So if I'm trying to to decide about doing something six months from now, say for a vacation, you know what do I what do I do there? I know uh, you know they're scheduling at my airline that we actually schedule vacations out a year in advance. Um, but if I'm thinking I need to have a specific day off in February, uh, and it's December right now, I'm not guaranteed that, am I? You're not, and and you talk about oh I can't you know it's difficult to schedule in advance with people. Well, if you're smart about it, you can do it. So as you get into this career, whether, whether you're a pilot or a flight attendant or you're even working on the ground because their schedules are similar too, um, you're going to know, and this is a term, I'll have to define it, what you can hold. Okay. And that's, uh, so that, what that means is a, a, the type of schedule that, that you can get awarded based on your seniority. So for example, if I'm new, I'm pretty much going to know I'm going to work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, okay? But if I've been here for a while, as I work through the years of bidding and getting my awards, I kind of know where I sit as far as my seniority goes. And I know, okay, after six years, if I need to have, um, you know, a Wednesday, Wednesdays off in the month of December, I can, you know, bid for a schedule that's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And if I know that my seniority can hold that, I know that I can get those days off. So if you're trying to get a specific day off or like specific days off, like a lot of people do this during football season, just saying, <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they don't want to work, you know, on uh, Sunday and Monday. So, you know, they'll, they'll bid around those days that they want off. So it's, it's definitely flexible as far as that's concerned. If you want to get a specific day off, that's that's something completely different. If if you want to talk about that later, Carl, or we can get into it now, but ab- about trading and stuff like that. Yeah, that's uh, and that kind of gets in the weeds. So we'll we'll leave that a little bit to later. But uh, okay. but if you're like you said, if you're somebody who's like a college fan like me, I want Saturdays off or <laughs> or et cetera. If I am the number one person at the airline, I'm going to get all the days off I want, and I'm going to get the schedule I want. But if I'm not, I uh, I well, and if I'm at the bottom too, I'm pretty much guaranteed working on on holidays, etc. A good example is, uh, and it's base specific too. Uh, in different bases, are more senior than others, and this is going to get a little bit technical. But uh, the usually the base where nobody wants to go is is actually the most junior. But uh, and you become the most senior pilot there, a flight attendant there, uh, because of the fact nobody else wants to go there. For example, I am actually, I've been able to hold captain in New York for the past, I don't know how many years, three, four years, but I, I barely can hold a line as a first officer 
over in Orlando where I'm based now because it's the most senior base because so many people want to go there. Uh, I don't mind it because I live close by, but it all your whole world depends just on that seniority number, and that's incredibly important. So, you know, I'm number, gosh, I forget, 2,233 on the list at my airline, and so there's a whole bunch of other people bidding right in front of me before they get to my schedule. Now, with that said, when I am in a base, say, like New York, I know that I can I can get just about any holiday I want off, so I don't really need to bid too many vacations. Uh, I can actually get those days off. So um, it, it really does change your life based on your seniority. And like you said, Dan, I'm glad you did bring that up because it's not impossible to schedule things. You know, I coach a flight team with a college. I'm able to schedule uh, work around that schedule. Luckily, we have practice on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you know, most people want to work those days, and I work on the weekends, that type of thing. Uh, but yeah, it really, it's not impossible. You just have to be smart about it. You can you tell people, hey, listen, you know, I only know my schedule about a month in advance. And they just have to work with it. That's all. So yep. now let's talk about that, what I just said, as far as reserves and lines and that type of thing. Uh, and then there's all these different types of reserves, et cetera. So <laughs> let's, let's talk about that first here. Having a line means you have a regular schedule, right? So what's the difference between that and reserve? Yeah, so there's two types of people <laughs> uh, that work for an airline. There's people on reserve, and there's people who hold the line. And people on reserve um, are not happy with the people that hold the line. They're jealous. No, so, <laughs> so so, what that is is that when you are senior enough to be off of reserve, and um, maybe, maybe we need to define what reserve means yes. for the people who don't know. Reserve, what that means is that you don't get – uh, you get a set schedule for, as far as the days that you're going to be working. You just don't know what you're going to be doing yet. Okay, so when you get a line, that means you get a, an actual trip, which is, and we'll define what a trip means. You know, it could be one day, two day, three days, four days, but you get to know exactly what you're doing, where you're going, and when you're doing it. Um, so you'll know you'll have specific overnights, and you'll be leaving at this time in the morning. You'll know everything about the trip. But on reserve, all you know is that you're working Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday potentially. And um, you won't know exactly what you're doing until either the day before or the day of. You just know that during these days, I might be working, I might not be working. And then there's a whole lot of options for how they put you to work. So th those are the two differences. And, and as far as reserve goes, um, at least in my company, I think this kind of goes for most companies. Um, we have three different types of reserves. There's AM, PM, and Ready. And um, the, the ready reserve is going to be available sort of a 24-hour type of deal. Um, I, I know you kind of talked about this in a recent episode because um, you are on reserve right now. Right. Um, and so there's different there's different designations of reserve. Um, so an AM reserve is your trips are going to be what we call AM trips or trips that leave early in the morning. And PM trips are going to be trips that leave in the afternoon. And then ready reserve, that just means that you're available for either of those or any combination of trips. So to, to add to that, every airline has something different and different terms they use for that. They also have things what they call airport standby reserve, mm -hmm. where you actually physically go to the airport. They have short call-out reserve. Uh, that's one that I've heard of at airlines that have, and actually we use it at ours, where they give you a hotel room at the mm -hmm. airport and you have to report for duty in an hour. Um, the AM PM reserve, uh, it's a specific time in the morning and the afternoon. Uh, some airlines don't even have that. 
where they will actually, once you finish a reserve period, you're on call, say, 10 hours later once you get your, or whatever it is, 11 hours required rest. Uh, one thing I do like to interject as far as reserve, because this is a tough concept for a lot of people to understand, and I finally figured it out because I have a, a student on my flight team who actually is a fireman, and he said, oh, that's just like us being a fireman. You know, we have shifts where we're on call for 12 hours at a time or 24 hours at a time or 10 hours at a time. I was like, well, gosh, that's a great analogy. You don't know what you're doing. You may get a call, and they say, hey, you got to be at the airport a certain period of time. So there, uh, there's different call-out periods. In other words, uh, some airlines say you have to be there in two hours if you have, like, a short call-out or a longer call-out of, say, 14 hours, like, uh, like we may have. So there's all those differences too aren't there dan you you may even have some examples of that yeah actually our, our airline has a really great contract we don't have any short call outs or anything like that um they can reduce our our call out um minimum is two hours they have to give us two hours notice um they can reduce that down to down by 30 minutes so it's you report at the gate essentially that's getting really technical but um as far as that as far as my company goes that's um, those are our limitations. Um, I do have to say, uh, airport standby. I hated airport standby. <laughs> I because I live in in my base. I I am based out of Las Vegas. I live here in Las Vegas. I hated being at the airport and just sitting there, knowing that you know my family and everything that I want to do is is thirty minute drive away, and I can't be with them. <laughs> so I hated airport standby. Um, some people might love it because you're forced to sit at the airport and you get work done. Um, or you could sleep even. So, um, yeah, but the, yeah, there are other airlines that they, they have the short call outs. Um, and, uh, you know, for us, it's AM, PM and ready. And the long call out is really cool. Not, not a lot of people have that, but, uh, and not a lot of people get that, but that's where you're on call. Say you're on call 24 hours a day, but you have 14 hours to get to work or 12 hours to get to work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just about everybody can, can live in there at home and have that kind of on-call schedule. It's really, really cool. It's uh, It all depends on the airline you work for and the contract you have, et cetera. Uh, some are better than others, and some, some airlines have dif- different bases where they're on-call for different airports. Uh, this mm-hmm. happens uh, usually in, like, the New York area where if you're in New York, you could be on call for the, the three airports that they have there, like oh. JFK, LaGuardia, and, and Newark, uh, or others. So it's it's quite interesting. So uh, yeah. you have to make sure you position yourself right. Exactly, and that actually brings up a really, really important point. Um, when you're on reserve, you have to be in the base, the city that you're based in, when you're on reserve. So a lot of people commute. We've talked about commuting on other episodes, I know. Um, so if, if you live in Reno and you're based in Las Vegas, um, if you have a line, you can commute down before your trip because you know when you need to be there, and, and that's fine. You don't have to be there the, you know, the full day of and everything. But when you're on reserve, you're expected to be in your base at the time that you're on reserve. And a lot of people surprisingly don't know this or just don't do it because they don't expect to be called. It's an automatic termination. If if you're called out for a trip and you're not in your base, uh, <laughs> you're terminated. It's it's pretty simple. So that's, that's something to remember. If you, you have reserve, you're going to probably have to commute out the day before. 
That is an incredibly important point is uh, we do have people that play the system and normally they do get terminated from their job and you don't want that happening because it, yeah. it's going to be so impossible to get another airline job if you get terminated, especially for not being on time. That's like the most important thing. You can do just about anything as long as you fess up and say, hey, I made a mistake. But if you're yeah. you're lying, no, nah, you're out. Also, you got to be on time. That is like the most important thing here. Remember, all those other people are relying on you, all the passengers and pilots and everybody. For you to be there on time. So that's incredibly important, especially on reserve. Uh, reserve, you just said something, and everybody says the same thing. It really stinks to commute to reserve. It doesn't always, okay? So you get it depends on your situation. For me, commuting to reserve in New York was pretty easy because I have a brother that lives close to the airport. I hung out at my brother's house, and of course, he's at work. I get to use the big screen TV all day and sit in front of that on reserve. How, how tough is that? You know, so yeah. and, and eat all the food in his refrigerator. Uh, the <laughs> downside is, of course, I get really heavy. And my brother yells at me for eating all the food out of his fridge. But other than that, it's it's really it's not bad at all. Except when they call you and say, "Hey, we need you at the airport in two hours." Uh, very important point, though. Yet you made about that is if your rules at your airline state that you have to be there in two hours. Some say three hours. Whatever it is, make sure you can make it from where you are to the airport in that time frame. Uh, Is there exceptions for that? Every so often. I mean, there are times, especially if you're in a New York base and you're on your way to the airport and, oh my gosh, there's an accident. You better call before you get there and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm I might be running to, late to the gate here, uh, just to let you know. You're going to get a report late on your schedule. Uh, that is not an immediate termination. And I know no. I don't know of any airline that would give you a termination for being late maybe one, two times, maybe three. Once you get to three, three to four, they'll probably put you on like a probationary status. And uh, yep. Dan, what, how does that work, say, at your airline? Do you get a probationary status if you're late more than once or twice? Um, well, we do have a thing called an MBL. We call it might be late. So like you're saying, you call in and say, Hey, um, I had to turn back and get my wallet or my badge. I forgot that, you know, I'll be, I'll be there before the flight leave, you know, before boarding time. But, you know, I'm not going to make my, my uh, actual check in time. And, you know, you'll get that on there. We actually have some of those that don't go against us if we, you know, one per quarter. Um, but if you do have multiple infractions of being late, I believe for us, you get called in what they call a fact-finding meeting. You have to meet with your um, your supervisors and you'll have a union rep if you have a union. Um, you'll meet together. And I think after, oh man, I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. I'm never late. But uh, I think um, I, I think it, it goes to a, a mandatory uh, time off, like a 30-day uh, time off with pay or without pay. Um, I think that's that's where it goes for us. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I'm the guy that shows up an hour before because I am so nervous about being late. <laughs> yeah, oh, I get it. I'm, I'm the same kind of person. I get there very early for mine, and yeah. it makes my life so much easier because yeah. I usually can get something to eat or whatever, that type of thing. Um, but when we do show up at the airport, we're, we have to fly our trip. And when we say trip, it's a schedule of flights. But we talk about different turns, and uh, the terms are uh, one day, two day, three day. You've heard us talk about that a lot. Another term that airline pilots and flight tents use is there's a couple ways they say this. They call it a turn. Some people call it an out and back. Uh, it all depends. Some they say it's a one day trip, etc. Yeah. Um, so explain that a little bit as far as the different types of trips. Yeah, absolutely. So in in my um, in my company, we call it a turn, and that means that. Today, you're going to leave the airport, you'll fly 
around and you'll come back to your airport that you left to your base um, on, on the same day. And that, that constitutes that trip. So you don't spend a night in another city. In fact, I believe, um, if can you confirm this, Carl? I think Allegiant only does turns. Uh, I don't think they have overnights. I think uh, there are a couple. I think they said 95% is actually okay. turns. There are a few, but very rare. It's a great business yeah. model. It saves them money on hotels. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. But um, So th- this is one of the great things about about the airline industry is this flexibility. We talk about that a lot, about being flexible and our schedules being extremely flexible. This is part of, of what makes it flexible. Um, I, I know some people who only work turns, and I'll tell you turns typically go senior, um, but uh, they, they do that because they need to be home every day for whatever reason, or they like to be home every day. So this gives them that opportunity to, to live sort of a normal life. And I do air quotes with that because <laughs> everyone says we don't, we're not normal. Um, but then there's, you know, there's, there's two days. So that, what that means is that you, you leave on Sunday, you overnight in, in a location and then you fly back Monday to your base and that trips over. And then of course, three days and four days. I, um, we don't have four days as flight attendants in my company. Uh, it's it's in the contract, but we don't use them. I know a lot of other places do, and there might even be longer ones, five days, six days, seven days. I'm not sure if anyone does that, but the typical is turn two-day, three-day, and four-day. Interesting. Well, actually, it's funny. I actually do five-day trips. I'm a okay. big, big fan of those. Uh, and normally for our airline, a five-day trip means there's like a 40-hour overnight somewhere or a uh, real long okay. overnight in some really cool destination. So uh, we do uh, – flight tents actually uh, have some of those, but they're, it's pretty rare. Um, but the turn, interestingly enough – a turn, especially at certain airlines uh, like mine, a turn can be a two-day trip. And how does that happen? We have a lot of trips that start 11 p.m., uh, go out somewhere, and then they come right back. We have uh, flight attendants that will leave at 11 o'clock, fly from New York to Los Angeles, come right back to New York again. And that's really two days, even though it's a turn. Yeah. Uh, so that's really a two-day trip, even though it's treated uh, as maybe a one-day trip in your contract. That's two days of your life that you've taken out. Also, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, you know, where I work, we have a lot of red eyes. Um, now, in your when you're doing these trips, do you do quite a few red eyes? Or and I guess we should explain what a red eye. That's basically you fly all night. You start like at eleven o'clock, like I said, and and end uh, early in the morning. Do you do you have a lot of experience with that? And uh, and do you like them? And do you know people that do? Well, <laughs> we're, we're my airline is sort of the princesses of the, <laughs> of the industry. <laughs> we don't have red eyes. We don't we don't do any of those. We we j- in our recent contract we did pass. Um, they they did add the language for red eyes, but we haven't flown any, so it's coming for us. And um, I've looked into it. Um, I'm a PM person. I like to stay up late. My typical bedtime is midnight, so um, I think I could physically handle the red eye. And um, I think there's some benefits to those as well. Um, I think it takes a, a special person to be able to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would definitely consider it and give it a try. 
So uh, you you've done them before? Yeah, I, I don't know oh, what they're like. Yeah, I do them all the time. I do red <laughs> okay. eyes all the time, and they usually a lot of times they go junior. We also have what we call the vampires at work, and <laughs> and those are the people that love doing red eyes, and yeah, okay. and they do them every every day, and uh, and they have a certain group of flight attendants that do those. So you can get those. We have red eye turns to the islands quite a bit, and so uh, again you wake up and uh, in the afternoon you go to work. You have to really plan these. Uh, some of them can be really difficult. I've done uh, four red eyes in a row, and that's actually legal. You can only schedule three, but you can actually have one that goes over on the last day, and and that can wear you out. The problem with red eyes is, uh, and my wife even tells me that, when I come back, I'm a wreck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just have to sleep, sleep, sleep. Uh, also, a lot of times what we'll do is what's called day sleeps, and a lot of airlines do those where you, you do a red eye, you finish at 6 in the morning, and then you're back out doing another red eye at 11 o'clock at night. And yeah. you do another red eye and another red eye. So that can happen. That can wear you out if you don't understand how your body works. Uh, you get used to it. But I, the mistakes that I've made, by the way, in those red eyes is that I'll get to a destination at 6 in the morning and say, oh, I have the whole day to do stuff. <laughs> and I'll go do stuff all day. And then it's like, uh-oh, i got to fly all night. Oh, <laughs> man, this is going to be tough. Uh, so learning how to how to adjust your body is uh, is very important, uh, and it can be it can be a challenge, and uh, it can be quite fatiguing too. You have to be careful you don't get totally fatigued on those. So, uh, so yes, uh, you're going to enjoy those red eyes, Dan. It'll be a lot of fun. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You might you might like them. Um, I but, think uh, I will. Interesting, though, about the red eyes and about international flying, too, uh, talking to some of the other flight attendants that do a lot of international, certain stations, certain destinations, excuse me, will give you extra pay if you're what's called a speaker. Um, and that means that you speak the language, say it's it's Japanese, say it's Patois, say it's French, uh, Spanish, and I guess that's about all the languages we have uh, where I work. But there's other airlines that have many more, and if you have that special skill, you get a little bit extra pay. Also, the red-eye flights, sometimes you get uh, overwater and you get night pay for some of those mm -hmm. too, and that's nice. Uh, some of the people like doing the red-eyes because it is a significant bump in pay, uh, so that that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, so... Um uh, in our company, we don't get per diem for turns. Is that the same for you guys? Uh, we we do. We get per diem, but oh, you not. Do. Yeah, but not. We don't get a day. We just get for those hours, which isn't much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We we don't get any for our turns. Interesting. So that's that's something to consider because uh, you you talk about someone who. Um, I, I typically work 12 days a week. I work uh, four three day trips, however many I fit in a month. I worked with someone who works only turns, and she worked 12 turns. But when you look at the, the amount of pay that she's getting, you get paid per trip. Um, she was getting about half as much money as I was working the same number of days. So you have to, you have to understand what you're getting into right. and your turns. Yeah. Turns don't pay as much. So, um, you gotta, you gotta think about that. Right. Great, great point, Dan, because depending on, and every airline's different is sometimes like those turns I was saying are two day trips. They only get paid one day. 
And uh, that's kind of tough. Yeah. So it's like, oh, wow, you know, I don't want to do a turn at night because I'm only going to get paid one day of pay and I'm taking up two days. So uh, that's another thing you have to look into. Make sure, you know, every airline's different. Everybody has a different contract. So you look at those things. Uh, so, and that goes more into, we're talking a little bit more about the types of trips, so one day, two day, three days. Uh, when you get to your destination, another question that comes up is, uh, what do I do? How do I get a hotel room? How do I uh, pay for things? And uh, your hotel rooms are always paid for when you get to your yeah. destination. You don't make the reservations. You're too busy working. You don't have time to do all that. Uh, and a lot of people think that's kind of cool that they pay for our hotel rooms. Uh, but I always tell people, if you work for a large company like AT&T and you go on a business trip, they're going to pay for your hotel room. It's the yeah. same thing. Mm-hmm. Same thing for us. Uh, so I think I think we kind of got that down, and that's it's really important to understand that uh, as far as the trips are concerned, and the, and what you call the AMs, the PMs, those type of things uh, on duty, and it really does change your life uh, being on reserve because in reality you're you're kind of stuck for that whole day uh, doing that trip, et cetera, because you don't know when you're going in. Whereas when you have a regular schedule and you have a line, you know you're showing up at six p.m. or six a.m every day or whatever day it may be and you can schedule around that you can't do that on reserve that's for sure i'm noticing that now that i'm on reserve (laughs) is that i have to schedule especially for the podcast and doing the the career coaching i have to take the whole day out you know to do that yeah hey carl have you also noticed the change in pay when you're on reserve uh okay this is a great point that you awesome i'm so glad you brought this up during reserve normally the pay goes down okay Mm -hmm. there are but if you're smart, you can actually make your pay go up. I've actually made more money on reserve uh, than I did as a line holder because a lot of times you can actually, uh, they'll say, hey, can you stay another day? We'll give you twice the pay oh, for the next okay. day. It's like, okay, this is cool. Uh, but yes, in general, your base pay goes down. And it's it's really a dramatic change in your base pay. Uh, and if you don't get those extra hours, yeah, it's, it's a good... I always tell people expect about 20%, maybe even 30% yep. less. I don't know if that's a, your experience. Absolutely. And, and it's very important to know um, that that's going to be the case. For me, I was surprised. I, I was making a lot of money, uh, a lot less money on my reserve. And I was trying to like, figure out why. And um, if you don't if you don't understand why, we'll, we'll kind of – I think we go into um, like trip trade and open time and stuff like that later. Um, the reason that you make less money on reserve is that you don't have control over – your trips or what you're going to be working. So if you don't work at all, if you sit at home and do nothing, you're going to get paid that minimum guaranteed pay for, for that time. Whereas when you have a line and you have the ability to trade trips, you can opt for a trip that pays more. So you, you take your trip and you trade it for one that pays more. So you have the ability to change the amount of money you make every month, whether you want to work more or work less or work harder or, or not and get paid more. So I noticed that when I, when I was a line holder, I'd make a lot more money because I had control over those trips. And when I was on reserve, I didn't. And that definitely reduced my income substantially. So there is a way to make money being on reserve, but usually you have to be senior. There are senior people that bid reserve, and this is what they do, is they do reserve during the week because during the week, less people call out sick than on the weekends. That's fact of life, just the way it is. And then on the weekends, they bid a reserve availability. We're going to go into that later, but what that does for us, it gives you basically double pay if you go into work on reserve on your day off. 
And that's a significant amount of money you can make. The problem with that is you're basically working every day of the month uh, mm-hmm. because you're putting yourself on reserve. And that's not that's not very appealing. Whereas a line holder, you can do that anyway. And that's kind of important. Speaking of pay, Dan, we really need to get into that whole pay thing. <laughs> I, know, I, and, I, can, and, I can hear the people squirming yeah, around. Yes. Like, well, how much do they make? <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to use a statistic, and I know Dan's going to go into this, but basically this is straight from the government, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and they're going to tell you what the median pay is. And that's exactly in the middle. It's not the average. That's the middle person gets paid in 2016 got paid $48,500 per year as a flight attendant. That's in the middle. I know people making even double that, and I know people making less than that. So that's yep. they took everybody and stuck them in the middle. Uh, and uh, so let's talk a little bit about pay. That's the government statistics. Uh, and like I said, I know people can make a lot more than that. So to tell us, Dan, how do we get paid? All right, so this is the time everyone needs to just kind of relax, loosen <laughs> up, because we're going to start throwing numbers out there, and this gets this gets difficult. Um, so, uh, uh, well, flight attendants are paid based on the trip that they work, and the trip is worth um, a, a certain amount based on how many hours they're actually on duty. Oh, on duty, man! I I just reminded myself, man. I I just talked to a friend who uh, who's just got a job as a first officer at a at a regional and he just now realized that he only gets paid when the doors closed and he's having a hard time with that so <laughs> just just so you folks know out there if you don't if you don't know this flight attendants and pilots typically are only paid when the door is closed and that airplane's moving so all that time that we're saying hello to you on the ground we're not really being paid for that you know we're getting our per diem and there's certain things um, called rigs and stuff like that that might come into play but for the most part we're not being paid so please be kind to your flight attendant <laughs> um, anyway so you're getting paid um, by the trip and that's based on it's different for different airlines but it's based on um, either the amount of time that you're uh, you're working or the amount of uh, miles that you've flown etc so uh, for my company um, we're paid off of what's called a trip and it's not per hour. So we're it's a trip is 243 miles between airports or less. So that's one trip. And then every 40 miles thereafter, it's one-tenth of a trip. That makes absolutely no sense to understand. But um, what that means is that when, you, when I tell you that my hourly rate, for example, is $26. And that, I'm sorry, my, my, my pay rate is $26. That really means about $30 per hour. So if someone who's paid by what we call TFP or trip for pay, they're actually that number is a little bit lower than what it would be hourly. But you're you're kind of paid for the time that you're out there working um, uh, for that trip that that you work, and that's whether it's a turn two day or three day. Um, so, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, as far so as how that, you're paid. So that's the that's on the per trip. Now on the hourly, the airlines that pay strictly by hour, not by trip, uh, it's from the time the door closes till the time the door opens, and yeah. uh, that's an important concept. As a matter of fact, uh, there are times when the flight attendants will get paid when the door is open. But normally it has to be a lot of airlines. It's an hour that you're sitting there, or 45 minutes, etc., and then they get paid for being there. Uh, but it's uh, and and also as far as the flight attendants and the pilots, it that's that 
clock that starts your pay is usually when we release the brake. So we could be sitting at, yep. the, at the gate getting our checklist done and the, the brake's not released. And now we release the brake to push back from the gate. That's when you start getting paid. So all that time you're not getting paid. But with that said, the hourly rates are usually higher in the situations where they pay by the actual mm-hmm. hour and not by the trip. So you'll hear yep. people getting paid like 65 bucks an hour. You're like, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. But in reality, that's sometimes maybe about half that in the real world. So 65 an hour, you're, you're maybe making, say, on average, 1,000 hours a year, a little more than that possibly. But yep. you're, you're only getting maybe $65,000 a year at $65 an hour, where in the real world, a 2,000-hour-a-year job that you paid for, you know, that's like 120, 130. So big difference there. But then we're back to the trips and the hourly. We can actually make some money, can't we, Dan? You can. So let's let's kind of go over um, how much a flight attendant can make. And I, I, I put together just a little bit of a graph here for me to go over with everybody. Um, when you first start out as a flight attendant, we're, we're going to talk major airlines. I, I didn't have the time to pull up the uh, pay rates for regionals or corporate. Um, so I don't know if you have even that information. But what my information is is from my, my uh, major airline. And in fact, you can go online and search for um, airline contracts and actually see literally what what the contract is for what people are being made but you're going to start <clears throat> excuse me you're going to start out about uh $24 per trip um that is roughly $28 an hour um and your average work month is is roughly i think for us our minimum guarantee is 72 hours but most people work i think on average 80 i, I saw other airlines had um, a minimum guarantee of closer to 80. So we'll just use 80 as what you're going to work as far as the minimum schedule goes. So that's 80 hours total for that month, for the entire month. And that works out to be about $23,400. So just, you know, $23,000. That's just your pay. So we'll talk about other things and that help that, that number go higher. Um, so that's as a starting flight attendant, I, I would say with everything put together, you're looking between 25 and 30,000, um, on the higher end 30,000 to start with on your first year. That doesn't sound then, like much, but there's a lot of opportunity <laughs> though, right? There, there, it goes up quick. Yeah. yeah. Okay, there's good. a lot of opportunity <laughs> to make more. Don't so be we're talking <laughs> about, yeah, we're talking about people who work their minimum schedule. So three days on four days off, for example, minimum of 80 hours. So let, let's let's talk about that then. So you have a brand new flight attendant making $24 an hour. We'll just call it an hour. Well, they if they work 80 hours, they, they're making 23000 Well, if they bump that up to 100 hours, they're already now making $30,000, just, just over 29000 actually. Um, so that's definitely doable. Um, that's not that difficult to get that many hours. And then if you, if you really, really, really want to work your tail end off, I've heard of people working over 200 hours a month. It, it's not something that you can do consistently and it takes a lot, a lot of work. But if you just to give the, the high end example, 200 hours a month at $24 an hour, that's, that's $58,000. So your earning potential is, you know, between twenty three and and fifty thousand. That's not too bad, um, and that's just starting out. So how many hours do you think, or how many days of work would that be? If, say they were going to do the the maximum, like two hundred hours, would that be like every day? It's what they do is it's six on one off, and uh. so they they work uh, two three day trips backed up together, um, and then. 
um, one day off in between, and then two three day trips backed up together, one off. So they, they basically they skirt that FAA minimum rest situation. They they work as as many possible hours as they can legally, and you kind of have to work the system. It's very difficult to do, but it's it's definitely possible. And some of these people I know I can work straight, and flight attendants can too, with no days off, as long as your overnight is more than thirty hours. You know, okay. in a yeah. seven-day period. So, wow, you know, you could actually be at work every day of the month, couldn't you? It's crazy. Yeah, brilliant. yeah it's, <laughs> it is. I'm not doing that. No, 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 no. I wouldn't suggest it either. <laughs> but, again, we talk about flexibility. <laughs> right. You, you Like me, I work three days a month. Um, I, I get four days at home with my family. I have to uh, for personal reasons. You my mean wife's three, days schedule a, three days a week, you mean? Three days a week, yes, yeah. okay, right. Um, yeah, not three days a month. That would be nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Three, yeah, three days a week. So it's three on, four off. Um, so you know, I'm on the lower end of the pay scale. But that that was your first year pay. So let's let's talk about how quickly it goes up. I think I put um, I didn't label this here, but I put six months in or six years in. Um, so I'm kind of just splitting the difference, I believe. So um, at six years, you're making about forty dollars an hour, and um, at a at a regular schedule of eighty dollars or eighty hours per month. That's forty thousand dollars. You know, so six years as a flight attendant, you're making forty grand. That's the average that you said. Um, I think that's pretty good, to sure. be honest. Oh yeah. And that's just the minimum. If you put, if you bump that up to a hundred, which, like I said, is very, it's not difficult to do. Hundred hours is not hard to do. Um, and we'll talk about ways to make that easy. Um, that's fifty thousand. That's for, uh, just over forty nine thousand dollars. And that's just trips for pay. So we have per diem to add in. We got vacation. We got other benefits that that pay you um, opportunities to earn time and a half and double time. So you know that number is is typically much higher than not much, but it's higher than that of what you're actually you know making. That's pretty good, and that's a that's a decent salary. And we're talking six mm-hmm. years in. This is where it mm-hmm. gets tough to leave as a flight attendant. If you're there yes. for a couple of years. You're not leaving. It's going to be so difficult to leave because you are you're having all these days off, and uh, but but if you get to ten years, you are definitely not going anywhere. So uh, talk a little bit about that. The ten year pay. Yes, let's talk about why you're not <laughs> going to leave. All right, Carl, because this is where people don't really don't really believe this. But um, and I'll give you some examples of how crazy this is. Um, your top out pay typically happens around 12 to 13 years, depending on your airline. Um, your top out pay is around $61 an hour. That, that's that's a good amount for for what we do. And again, your your flight attendant that's working there has worked there 12 years. They're doing the exact same job that that they did 12 years ago when they first started, but they're making $61 an hour doing it. So if you work your three days a week, getting your 80 uh, 80 hours per month. Um, you're making fifty nine thousand dollars. That's easy. That's that's easy to do. Um, hundred hours. If you bump that up a little bit, you're making just um, just under seventy four thousand dollars a year. And again, I have to say this every time. This is just the pay on your trip and not everything else. <clears throat> and then then the magic number. I put this one in here. You can make. Six figures as a flight attendant. I know that sounds pretty crazy, but it's possible, and it's not entirely difficult either. So if you top out and you want to make a hundred thousand um, dollars, you can do that with one hundred and thirty-six trips per month, and that's definitely obtainable. 
Wow. And if you go, if you do that 200 trips a month, you're making $147,000. You're probably going to have to take a month off <laughs> every time you do it. But, uh, um, it, the pay, it just goes up crazy and you, you know, you're living a pretty comfortable life. Can I, can I give an example of how, how ridiculous this is? I'd, I'd love to. Um, <laughs> so, um, we'll get a little bit personal here. My, my wife is a veterinarian and she, um, she's a doctor. Okay. She went through eight years of school and she, all the same training that you have to go through as a medical doctor, veterinarians are, um, they're very well trained and they spend a lot of money doing it. But they don't make a ton of money. So I'll put that out there. Um, they make less than doctors. However, my father-in-law is a flight attendant. And when my wife first graduated from veterinary school and got a, got a job as a veterinarian, she was making less money than her father as a flight attendant. Okay, He didn't go through eight years of school. He doesn't have $160,000 worth of student loans to pay for. But he is sitting at home half the year because he can do that with his schedule and making what a veterinarian, a doctor makes wow. as a flight attendant. And, and just recently he topped out, he made over a hundred thousand dollars. It's crazy. It, the amount of money that you can make as a flight attendant. This is something that I want to stress, uh, especially with people that ask me about becoming a flight attendant. I hear it all the time. I'm so happy that we're doing this. It's not just about the money, but if you want to make the money, it's out there. It's for the taking. Now, let's look at some airlines, too. And we're going to get into this later. There's other ways to make money. But we're not going to talk about that now. But you can even make more than that uh, by playing the system. And that 200 hours is, uh, you might say that's, cr you can credit 200 and actually work 150. There's ways to do that, but we'll talk yep. about that later. Um, so, Dan, this is a great, great career, especially when you hit 10 years. I yep. talk to flight attendants that are buying rental properties and things like that. I was like, wow, how are you able to do that? And, uh, and some will share what they're, what they're doing as far as pay. And they understand how to work the system, which we're going to talk about it in a minute. And I know this episode is going to go long, but this is incredibly important, this part. Uh, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you can really make a great living. And with just some customer service experience or no experience at all, and you can go into this even as low as, as 18 years old. And by the time you're 28 making this kind of money, that's pretty mm -hmm. good. That's really, really good. And having the time off to do other things. So, uh, so I, I'm sold. Uh, I want to do this, Dan. <laughs> so, what do we have? What do we have to look at here as far as other ways to get paid? Let's start with the small stuff. Let's start with the. You talked about per diem. Uh, How does per diem work? Yeah, so per diem is uh, that exists to help offset the costs of not being at home on on the days that you're working. Because, okay, most people will bring food with them, and you know, that's, that's all well and good, but a lot of people don't and they have to pay for their food while they're working. So what the, the airlines have done is they've, they've given you money to offset that cost of, of having to live and survive while you're on an overnight. So what they'll do is they'll give you, um, a dollar amount, um, that you're credited for the entire time that you're gone. So let me give you an example. Your, your average three day trip you're gone for roughly 52 hours, okay, which is about the same amount of time that you're you're gone um, when you work in an, an eight-hour job, um, five days a week. So, just gives you an idea how how long you're gone. So, about 52 hours is is average for a three-day trip. So, um, I know my company. I think we actually raised this recently, but 215 is where it was um, last I remember. So, that's about 110 dollars per day that you're getting 
to help offset your costs. And that works out to be about $500 a month if you're working, you know, four trips um, or, or maybe, you know, four and a half or five trips a month. Um, so you're going to make $500 a month just on, on per diem to offset the cost of actually, you know, working. So that means like meals, that type of stuff. People always ask that. How much do they give you for meals? Well, this is it. This is mm-hmm. the money you get for feeding yourself, et cetera, right? That's correct. And and you keep in mind though that the the places that you're feeding yourself at, <laughs> they're expensive. Okay, yeah, you're you're eating point. at hotels, you're eating at the airport. Or you might be going. You're going out. Okay, so you know that as you budget your normal life, that eating out is more expensive. So, the, so the airlines recognize that, and they they give you this per diem to sort of offset that cost that you can't really avoid. Now you can. You can try to bank more of that money by bringing your own food for home. Make yourself sandwiches. I, I like to save leftovers from all the meals I make during the week and just you know put them in containers and take those for my meals. So I'm not really expending any more money to feed myself while I'm on trips. But um, yeah, that that's how per diem works, and that's why it exists. And you can also save money if uh, you go to those hotels that give you free breakfast. That's why mm. pilots and flight attendants love those hotels and yes. all the big discounts. You get a lot of big discounts at the hotels. But then again, a lot of hotels we go to, there's $18 hamburgers. And uh, you know, even even with a 10% discount, 20% discount, it's still pretty high. So uh, it yeah. you do go through your per diem. Uh, a lot of guys try to save it. They eat better by bringing their food, and I think that's a great idea. Or so, you need to fly with a uh, you know a senior uh, grandpa captain that will pay for your food for you. <laughs> exactly, perfect. You know, that, I got the first round. You know that kind of thing. I got the first. Yeah, meal. that happens. That happens quite often, actually, which yeah, is kind of cool. We love that. Yes, yes, it is awesome. Um, so there's that pay, but also there's other things you get paid for, right? Yes. So, so we we could talk about how to maximize the money that you get per month with minimizing the amount of work you do. Okay, so you know, I talked about my father-in-law making all that money, but he didn't work every day of the week. Okay, he still was off 170 days a year. Okay, he's working half of the week every week and making, you know, 70 grand. It's it's pretty phenomenal. And but how does he do that? So there are ways to sort of game the system. And so the company will offer um, time and a half pay um, double time pay. Uh, I think as I was looking up other co- contracts, I heard about these white flags and purple flags and red flags and green flags. Yeah. I've Pink never slips. heard of that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's just different ways to symbolize that you're getting more money. Okay. So you're getting paid 150 times what, um, you know, what you normally would. So, um, <clears throat> so there's ways to sort of, uh, to capitalize on that. In my company, we offer what's called VJA, that's Volunteer Junior Available. That's what that stands for. Um, We offer that on the last day of the month and the first three days of the month. We don't use a a PBS, the preferential bidding system. So we have what's called overlap. And what that means is um, you have someone who works a trip on the last day of the month that overlaps into the first two days of the next month, and then they bid for a trip that starts on the first day of the month. Well, they can't work both those trips. They can't be in two places at once. So they take that trip from the new month out and offer it for a time and a half. So we're, we're struggling really hard to keep a hold of this and not go into a provincial bid, bidding system to get that gets rid of it. But um, those opportunities allows someone to, um, to work a trip or two even that are paid at time and a half. 
So they're 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 working smarter and not harder. Um, additionally, you're going to get paid for vacation time. So you're like you mentioned, um, was it this episode or last one about vacation? You're going to bid for uh, your vacation for the next year, so you know what weeks you have vacation. And what happens is, is when you bid for the line for that month, let's say I have vacation from December 1st through the 8th. If, if I bid for a line or even, well, you don't get reserve on vacation days. Um, if you bid for a line where your trip is inside your vacation week, that trip gets pulled. And the amount of money that you get paid for that vacation time will depend on how many trips that you get pulled, um, from your vacation. That's that's how ours works. Uh, some places just might have a straight, you know, you're getting paid this many trips per vacation or it may be based off of how many trips that you work during the year, etc. But basically your vacation is paid. So what you do is you then pick up trips during your vacation because you're totally welcome to do that. So now you're getting sort of getting paid double to work those days during your vacation. So again, you're you're just being smart about how you work and how you get your money. And there's even instances of double and triple dipping. So uh, I know people, <laughs> that's where they get their 200 hours a month, even as pilots, where you'll have a vacation day and then they have they need people. So they'll say, hey, we'll pay yeah. you double to come in. So now you're getting paid for that trip, plus you're getting paid double for another. You just triple dipped. And uh, there's yep. some really, there's some people out there that make some amazing money. Double what other, everybody else makes. Uh, easily yep. double what other, other people make. Sometimes almost triple what some other folks make just by yep. playing the system. Uh, I know you don't have this as a flight attendant, but as pilots, we try to bid with, as a first officer with Czech Airmen, and they buy our trips from oh, us. Yeah. And then we can pick up those trips, uh, other trips, and make the money we made on the original trip, and then also the money that we would have made or we can make on the next trip so that's kind of cool i don't, I think uh they may or may not do that as a flight attendant i know they have some training flight attendants mm -hmm. out there um but you also no. mentioned, go ahead yeah for training flight attendants when we have someone on their oe um the and you don't you can't really bid to work the trips that the the oes are on um but if you happen to be on that trip you do get an extra it's something like I don't know, like $2 per trip or $5 per trip or something while you're working with that person because you have more responsibility. You got to be looking out for them, et cetera. So yeah, you do get paid for that. Um, <clears throat> you also get paid per position. Now my, my company, we only operate one type of aircraft. We always have three flight, three or four flight attendants. We don't do <clears throat> big, long international trips where you have a purser and things like that, but there are different positions within the flight attendant um, job that pay more. So for me, the flight attendant standing there at the front of the aircraft, they're paid an extra $2 per trip. So that's if your trip pays 20, if your your 3-day trip pays 20 trips, so that that's actually 20 uh, it's extra 2 for every trip that you pay or that you fly. Um, so that that can add up as well, and that's just because you have more responsibilities. So there there are different positions, um, different types of trips. Like you said, the red eyes, international. Your your per diem will be more for international. There is so much information. You know, I would suggest actually pulling up a contract and kind of looking through the the compensation section, and really seeing what opportunities are out there for making extra money. 
there's even like you said with the the first class or business class flight attendants yeah. where they have to go through special training uh, to become a specific flight attendant in first class. Uh, the language speakers get extra money. There's there's all sorts of ways to to make extra as a flight attendant. I think that's really cool that you can do that. Like like you said, there's many opportunities if you know how to play the system, and that's where you got to work smart. And, yep. and make that kind of money. Also, uh, in addition to that, there's other things that you get paid. I'm assuming you get uh, like a retirement plan and that type of thing. Yeah, airlines have been really great for this. Um, they they do uh, uh, matching for your 401k. So um, I think yeah, our company is like crazy. It's like 9.8%. It's ridiculous the amount of money they give us for for matching. So um, so other you know other airlines will do that. You'll match your your contributions up to a certain percentage. And really, if if you're going to be putting money away, you, and they're giving you up to a certain percentage, you better be putting at least that percentage in because that's free money. You know, there's there's really no reason not to be doing that if you're going to be doing it anyway. Um, additionally, uh, so that's 401k. That's pro- that's that's matching. But there's also profit sharing. You know, so if your your airline is profitable, they may be kicking that back to you in in the form of um, maybe a check or 401k contribution. Um, I know that's that can be different on the pilot side because I remember last time we had profit sharing, we had to take it in the form of a paycheck unless we were a certain age, and the, the pilots actually had more uh, more flexibility for that. But that's definitely an option or a, an additional way to to get money from your company. And when you brought that up, everybody's contract is different. So it's important to realize that. And also there's a maximum that you can actually have placed into your 401k in a year there's a, that you can contribute and also your company can contribute and there's a lot of flight tenants out there especially if uh, there's two flight tenants working in the family or somebody has another job uh well they'll they'll put i think it's the maximum of fifty four thousand or something like that into a right. 401k you can't contribute all that but the company does too and a lot of people elected to put the profit sharing in, in there that's yep. now you're talking serious money as far as putting it away you may not be getting that in your paycheck but you're going to get that later on later in life and it's going to grow for so many years and yep, and we also have things like stock purchase plans where you'll get a discount on, um, you know, purchasing your company's stock as well. And those are are nice because a lot of people what they'll do is uh, they'll buy the stock and then sell it right away and make a little yep. extra money. Uh, profit sharing is a wonderful thing. There's uh, those all those things are great in an airline. The benefits are incredible. And when you really add it up, and you say to yourself, "Gee." You know, should I do this job, be a flight attendant? You really got to look at your total compensation package uh, because you try to compare this in the real world. There's some that are only do like 3% or half of that 3%. Or, uh, But when you're looking at making 9%, like you said, and you put in 9%, that's 18% of your salary now that's going into this account. And you're, you're, you're really going to compound what you own in that 401k by the time you're retiring and have a pretty good retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, the other biggie. The other big benefit, and this is the mm. reason I think most flight attendants want to become flight attendants, and this is, is the one I hear about. It. I know there's people listening to me right now that have been waiting for this one. Is <laughs> what are this? What's this travel benefit thing? What what does that mean, Dan? Yeah, you know, it's it is absolutely amazing the 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 abilities that we have to travel, and and I, I'm going to go into this. It's not just about traveling on your airline. Um, there are so many uh, what we call reciprocal agreements that that we have the opportunity to travel on our airline, on other airlines, and and even other places that you might not think about, um, and not even air travel. There, there's benefits that apply to us that 
such as cruises and stuff like that. It's out there because it, so we're we're in this industry and and we're we're discounted on a lot of things. But as far as the travel benefits go um, for air travel, it is absolutely fantastic. So we talk about. Um, what what we call a non-rev. And if you don't know what that means is you're basically, um, you're not paying for your passage or your seat on that aircraft. and But you're given the opportunity to travel on that aircraft without paying for it, for the most part. And there's some, some asterisks that we got to talk about for that. But um, basically what that means is that I can go to the airport, and I did this recently. I took my kids up to Reno to visit my dad. And I just went to the airport and I said, hey, I'd like to get on this airplane. Are there seats available? And there were. So they gave me a ticket and I got on the airplane. I didn't pay a, a cent. So um, and that that's, you know, domestic travel is typically that way. You're not going to pay anything if you're traveling on your own company. Um, so you can do that. Now it's, that's seats available and there are definitely a lot of rules regarding that and who gets to go um, first and there's some companies that use seniority, there's some companies that use first come first serve, and there's also what we call jump seat availability, which means um, you can actually travel on the jump seat. So the seat that you would normally sit on while you're working as a flight attendant, there's typically at least one extra spot on most aircraft. Uh, some of them have two or even more um, em- empty jump seats, and um, you can actually sit on that jump seat uh, for the flight and not even take up a passenger seat. So there's there's a lot of opportunities for us to travel um, for free. Um, you just got to be open and have a flexible uh, travel schedule. So what happens is you you get used to this. And I remember after 9-11 when I lost my job, I uh, suddenly went to the airport with a different look in my eye and I said, oh my God, I have to pay for a ticket to go visit my family in New York. This is kind of strange. And then you start realizing the value of that travel benefit and uh, being able to just get up and say, hey, why don't we go to Maine for the weekend and uh, let's pack a bag and run out the door in an hour. It's just like getting in your car and going to the grocery store. Little bit of more, a little bit of, uh, of planning, but as pilots and flight attendants, yeah, we have our bags packed. Usually, we know where our ID is and we know where all of our documents are. We're ready to go out the door within 15 minutes, right. uh, and so you think that's tough to do, but we, we do it all the time. And you'll get used to that, and you'll say, "Hey, you know, why don't you meet me here in this city?" And it's like, "Yeah, okay, I'll do that." And you have a friend that invites you to their cabin up in the mountains in South Carolina, and you say, "Well, why not?" I can get there for free. Why don't I just go right. visit them? Exactly. That's a, it's like so strange. I know, uh, you know, a friend of mine wanted to go to Australia and visit a friend, and uh, he was like, oh, I got like five days to kill. Why don't I just do it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they just did that. So around the world is just like going down the street for pilots and flight attendants and flight crew. It's just such a neat, neat benefits to travel. I'm glad you brought up about the, the cruises. We get such incredible benefits, just like anybody else in the travel mm-hmm. industry. And I'm I'm actually looking to do my first cruise. And uh, there's so many other things like hotels. You mentioned you're with a crew with a certain airline. They'll you tell them, hey, I'm not staying, but a lot of times they'll give you a discount because yep. uh, you're in that industry. Really, really yeah, good absolutely. There. Yeah. So my my uh, brother-in-law lives in China, and um, like I said, my my father-in-law is a flight attendant, so he'll use his travel benefits to fly to China and visit him, uh, you know, twice a year. Now, I don't know what a typical 
ticket would cost to go out there. Uh, our airline doesn't fly out there, so he uses his travel benefits on other airlines. And most of the airlines have reciprocal agreements uh, with each other. And he, he uses what's called ID90, which is a discounted ticket for um, for other airlines, to employees to use on that airline. And um, I, I'm pretty sure he told me that he spent about $200 to go out to China. Which I, I like I said, I think it's in the thousands of dollars for that that ticket normally. So it is extremely, extremely cheap for us to travel, even internationally. Internationally, the reason you pay internationally is there's um, there are fees that are non-refundable in regards to traveling internationally that that the airline has to collect. That's why it costs us to do that. But um, not only that, Carl, I actually had the opportunity to use my flight benefits at a company that I'm trying to get a job at as a pilot. So there's a uh, there's a, a tour company that does um, flights to the Grand Canyon and back here from Las Vegas. And I'm trying to get a job there as a pilot. But before that, I went over there and I realized that we had flight benefits with that company because we let them fly with us. You know, their pilots can can jump seat on an airline. So I went over there, instead of paying $300 a person, I took my daughter in a helicopter for $75 a person. So I, I paid half the cost of one person to go do the tour. And that's simply because I worked at the airlines, uh, at foreign airline. So, um, that's amazing. There are so many opportunities out there to travel very cheaply and, it's a shame if you don't use them. You know, it's it's an amazing benefit. It's worth a lot of money if you put a dollar value on it. It's a lot of money that you save. Amazing experiences too. I mean, you look at yes. different modes yeah. of travel, like you said with the helicopter. That's awesome that you got to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing is trains. You can actually jump seat on trains in certain instances <laughs> with certain agreements. And I know somebody who's done that. And uh, as a pilot, sat up there, you know, with the the, the engineer. And rode on the train. I think that's really cool. I mean, you get to see some really, really interesting things from different perspectives. Even on cruise ships, you know, you tell them, hey, you're an airline captain or you fly for an airline, you're a flight attendant, et cetera. They, they may take you into their world and show you their yeah. world, which is really cool to, to share that because we're all kind of in that, that travel industry. And, and even when you're on trips and you're away and you're, you tell them you work for the airline and they say, oh, wow, you're in the same industry. You may get an excursion while you're at some hotel that you never thought you would get. But they said, hey, you know, since you're, you're a, with an airline, we're going to go ahead and let you go out on this boat trip. And it's like, oh, wow, that's cool. So that you do get all those little perks, which is a, a wonderful thing. And yeah, uh, it's, it it's a wonderful industry that we share this with. Gosh, Dan, you know what? This is uh, this is about all the time we have. I know we went a little <laughs> long on this episode, but there's a whole lot that we went over. Don't forget that they should l- listen to the previous episode. Listen to this episode maybe a couple of times. There's also <laughs> things that there, there's even more than what we just said here. Imagine that. There's this is kind of an overview, understanding the rules about pay, about how you bid, about your airline, and about the different airlines. That could take hours and hours and hours. And I know a lot of people ask me that, you know, what can I look at? Well, read their contract. But, you know, some of these contracts are 800 pages long if you really want to read everything. Uh, So you're not going to know everything about their contract unless you spend a long time reading it. Uh, But just know this, that there are some incredible benefits to working for an airline no matter what the job is, we're talking about flight attendants, uh, a lot of the gate agents and, and all the other employees at the airline, they get those similar benefits. The cool thing about a flight attendant, though, is you actually have time to use it. 
like you were saying, you work three days on, four days off. You can go visit your family. I mean, that's what I do. Um, and the other cool thing, too, and we didn't mention this, is I usually let the airline pay me to go see my family and friends. And what does that mean? We talked back about bidding. I bid overnights in destinations where I have family. So yep. every one of my family members I visit while I'm getting paid. And that's pretty cool. I get a nice hotel room, go hang out with family, and uh, you know it's just long enough that uh, they don't get sick of me, I don't get sick of them, and uh, we enjoy each other's company and I leave. And I'll come back months later. And it's so, it's so wonderful to do those type of things. Uh, Dan, this has been awesome talking about you know why you should become a flight attendant what the pay is like, how to get hired, et cetera. And I know there's going to be a lot of questions. And anybody who's yep. interested, they can you know send us some feedback, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. But, Dan, there's also some ways they can get in touch with you because you've been going through some experiences and uh, you know, you're changing careers to become a pilot. Um, but how can they get in touch with you? What websites do you have? Yeah, I'm kind of all over the place now. <laughs> but um, I have uh, – you know, if you want to do just general flight attendant questions um, unrelated to uh, the, the world of being a pilot, um, I have a personal email. Um, it's dan at gingerdan.com. It's very simple. Dan at gingerdan.com. It's uh, just a personal email address. I don't mind uh, giving that one out. But I also, um, as you mentioned, I have uh, you know my own podcast called Accelerated Flight School Podcast. Um, that's acceleratedflightschoolpodcast.com. And that's just all about um, flight training um, in an accelerated format. And I'm happy to take questions uh, through that medium as well. Um, and the email address there is feedback at acceleratedflightschoolpodcast.com. And then finally, the social media aspects. Um, on Facebook, I'm Ginger Dan uh, or Ginger Dan Pilot. Um, I use both of those. And then on uh, Twitter, it's Ginger Dan Pilot as well. So there's lots of, you know, just Google Ginger Dan Pilot. I come up there. Well, cool. The uh, other thing, too, we didn't mention in the last episode is Picks of the Week. Uh, we Actually, I did. I went back and talked about other episodes. But uh, I know I had one, and that was the Bureau of Labor Statistics as far as the flight attendant pay. It's a great resource. Go out there and look at all different careers. If you're in that part of your life where you're trying to figure out what to do, it's a great place to look. But, uh, Dan, you actually had an interesting one as far as your Pick of the Week. What was your Pick of the Week? Sure. I was doing some research and, and trying to come up with uh, with something. Unfortunately, in in this industry, we do a lot of our um, uh, a lot of our stuff on Facebook. So I can't really share a, uh, you know that because it's in, it's company specific. So when you do finally get into this industry, you're going to have so many resources available to you. Everything you want to know about your overnights and contract questions or whatever, all that's going to be on your your social media or Facebook groups. But um, if you are interested in becoming a flight attendant, I found a really great book that that basically covers everything you need to know about. Um, getting hired, what the job's about, everything that that we've discussed here, but in, in in major detail, and you can get that on Amazon. It's a it's a um, a Kindle in Kindle format. And I think they may have some other formats, but it's a book called um, A Complete Guide to Becoming a Flight Attendant, and it's um it's called Airborne um, by Lauren Porter, 
and um, I'm sure you'll have a, a link to that. You can get it right on Amazon. Download it to your device. So if you're really serious about becoming a flight attendant, if, if what we've said to you is enticing um, and you really realize, wow, this is actually a really en- enjoyable job and I can get paid to do this and have some really amazing benefits, this would be a great resource um, to get all the information you need. And Carl, I, ha- I have to say one more thing, really quick. We didn't even mention open time and trip trade. The flexibility in this job is second to none. I mean, you have the ability, like I have for the last six months, to not work a day at all in, in some airlines or work a very minimum schedule. Or if I am awarded like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I can actually move those days um, to different days of the week as necessary. So if I need a specific day off, I can do that. I can be very, very flexible and we can train amongst each other. The So the flexibility in this job is outstanding. And that's something I'm glad you brought up at the end here is the fact that you do have that flexibility. And I can drop my schedule if I have uh, the time to do it. Uh, If there's uh, people available to pick up my trip, I need a week off, I can get rid of things. Or if I want to make extra money, just like you said, open time is those trips that are out there that other people haven't been assigned to. And uh, you can actually take those, make money on them, and they might be to where you want to go. As a matter of fact, I have set up on my computer uh, notifications that tell me when certain trips come in that have overnights in the cities where my relatives live. And yeah. I'll sometimes pick those up so I can go visit. Just, uh, just It's amazing how many iterations there are of the flexibility in the airlines yep. and the fun. Um, and it's it really is a, it's a cool job. Surebeat's working for a living. Surebeat's having a real job. That, that, that's for sure. There you go. Yep. Well, Dan, this has been awesome. Let's uh, let's do it again. I know we're going to have a ton of questions, and when they come in, maybe you can come on and help us answer sure. some of those. That'd be awesome. That's great. And, uh, of course, they can find you online, and uh, they can find you right on the website here. This episode will have all the links to all your uh, different social media accounts, et cetera. And if you have questions, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. We'll, we'll answer them here. Uh, but in the meantime, I also will uh, send those on to Dan, forward them if uh, if you want those uh, immediately answered. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening. Don't forget to do something today to move forward in your career, whether it's reading a book, looking up uh, what Dan talked about as uh, far as Picks of the Week, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, if you're thinking about a new career. But make sure you don't just listen to this podcast. You put action behind it. Do something today. Do something now and move forward in your career and your life. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.